Howdy, folks. Happy Monday. It was a very muggy weekend in Western New York. Uh, we had an air show here, uh, and they couldn't, the Blue Angels could not perform because it was so foggy on Saturday. So, but then they ended up coming back on Sunday, and uh, it was a good, a good show uh, viewed by all. Uh, Russ, uh, start us off the pre show. All right. So, let's talk about the, um, the Philadelphia 76ers. We all heard the phrase, trust the process. That was back when Sam Hinkie tanked, like Mike likes teams to tank, and they got draft picks, and they got players eventually, and they got Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And I think that train has gone as far as you could take it, and they not only have not won you know, a championship, they never even reached the finals. So this is where the process now meets the rest of – the sport and, and the same would go for hockey and any other sport. It is okay to tank and it is okay to, to get what you deem as franchise players. But then if not the rest is built around or one of those franchise players isn't one like Ben Simmons looks like he isn't one, mm -hmm. then you are set back again massively. So this is, this is now going to be the big debate Kev and, uh, it's not going to be a simple thing anymore just to tank when, especially in the NBA, because that used to be the way, right? You tank, you get you get these great players, and you're going to win, and they didn't win. No, and trust the process oftentimes is code for it's not going as well as we hoped it would. Right. Um, you know, so, um, you know, and the problem is there's no timeline on any rebuilds, and, and in our sport, it's even more difficult because, you know, the way the draft lottery is set up and, uh, plus, uh, drafts, and the same is true in all sports, from year to year, uh, you know, yield, uh, you know, different levels of talent. Um, you know, right. you got, got, not only do you have to be bad, you got to be bad at the right time. Right. And, right. You know, and I think that's what makes I mean, look at the Edmonton Oilers. They got a lot of number one picks. But, you know, how many of those number one picks do you look at uh, now in retrospect and go, wow, you know, they got a really nice uh, – um, you know, they didn't get, let's put it this way. They didn't get Austin Matthews, uh, right. you know, so they didn't get Mary Lemieux. They didn't get a lot of the number one picks that we've had in the past that have really been impactful. So, but, but part, I mean, part of the, part of the fact is, is, is timing on is planning. I mean, okay. You can say Edmonton screwed up because they didn't put a team around Yakupov and Ryan Nugent Hopkins and uh, Taylor Hall. Uh, two, you know, two of them they traded away. They've kept Ryan Nugent Hopkins at least right now, and McDavid is is a franchise player. But Pittsburgh, uh, in the previous decade, you know, they had Crosby. They got Jordan Stahl and Flurry and Malkin. The only one they missed out on, I think, in terms of being a star, was what Ryan Whitney. Other other than that, all their top five picks turned out to be really good. And right now, you know, <clears throat> you can say. Toronto had success with Matthews and Marner first and fourth overall, but Buffalo with five with three picks in the top five in the span of five years, Eichel, Reinhardt, and then Darlene, they're starting another rebuild now. I mean, well, I'll give you what yeah. the secret ingredient is. At least in my mind, I've come up with what the special sauce is for for hockey. If you're doing that and you are rebuilding you still have to have a franchise goalie. If you don't, then it's not going to help. And all those teams you just mentioned, none of them had a franchise goalie. Yeah, but, you know, it, it's just so – I mean, you name those Pittsburgh players, and those are all exceptional players. Uh, but they had a franchise goalie in Florida. They, they, they did, but they were just much better players than what – Sure, had, but I do think – don't you think there's something to it with – don't you think there's something to it Yeah, I mean, I, I, okay. you can't – you can never argue that you know that having a stable goalie, um, you know, is going to expedite uh, the rebuild. There's no doubt about it. I mean, that's why here in Detroit, where I live, there's a lot of discussion about what Steve Eiserman should do. He doesn't really have a young stud goalie coming up to play with this collection of guys right. that he's facing his rebuild on. So, should he take Jesper Wallstedt at number six? Um, that seems to be a you know, pretty big debate around here. So um, I, I, I don't think it's a bad pick at all. I, I think if they feel like based on what's out in the marketplace, and I know there's some interest in a guy like Varlamov maybe trading for him, 
Um, if they don't trade for Varlamov, then maybe Wallstead is the answer. But if they could trade for Varlamov, then they could use that pick again because Varlamov has proven that, hey, he could bring a team pretty far. So they may do that. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure they will because, you know, Eisenman is pretty much – he hasn't said, but he sort of indicated that he thought it was going to be three more years. Right. So what was that make Valarma? Thirty six. Yeah, I th- I think a guy a guy who would be a better fit for for Detroit might be a guy like Sam Sonoff if Washington is trading him because you know yeah. 22, 23 years old and he he's under control for another four or five years and that fits more with the timeline of the Red Wings getting back to some success. Yeah, or even Linus Allmark take a yeah. uh, roll the dice on him. I mean, a lot's going to depend on what. They want. I, to be honest with you, I think they'd like to re-sign Bernier and just worry about the goaltending tomorrow because, right? Uh, you know, because they, they could do that too. Yeah, but, um, but, but it, it might take Walsh. Then. I mean, but might. but just just finishing off this point, it's like I, I hate to say it for for to to Buffalo Sabers fans, but if you look at what is what we've talked about over the last few weeks and what's being rumored about Eichel and we'll talk about that later and Brian Hart and Ristolainen. and if they trade all three of them which is likely they're going to be a candidate for a top pick next year yeah yeah I mean, no matter what they get back and the thing is they could have two picks in the top three they could take Owen Power and Beneers and those both of those players could go back to Michigan and what is in Buffalo is what is was in Buffalo at the end of last year, and that wasn't great. And Don Granado might be the coach, and you know they finished 31st, 32nd overall, and be have the best odds to pick first overall. This is it's starting. The cycle is starting again. Yeah, and Shane, look, Shane Wright's a hell of a player. So if that's who they get, that's fine. But yeah, they if that is the route that they're going, they still need a franchise goalie too. True. Well, but, you know, but but Jack Eichel was a hell of a player. Yeah, you know? yeah sure. And so, like the the problem I have with um, you know trading all three of those players is it feels like they're not going to get top value for them because everybody knows they're trying to trade them. I and the, the one phrase that I real that grinds my teeth, even though I understand the logic of it, is when they come out and say we don't want anyone who doesn't want to be with us. Because again, you're just yeah. Telling the world, you know, we've got to get him out of there. I, you know, you've got leverage. You use it. If you don't like any of the deals, right. um, what, what do you think? Jack Eichel's going to come back and play terribly, right? So he, because you know he knows that it, you know he's not going to get out of there if no one's going to take a ten million dollar player unless he lights it up. And Plus, we, we haven't heard him utter the words "I want out." No, so. but but in, in not so many words, that's what he sort of indicated. Well, yeah, but I mean, guys yeah. change their mind, and like sure. I, all, all I'm saying is, you know, you know, don't just say I'm going to get the best deal I can get now. Right. That set yeah. minimum guidelines, you know, of what you'll accept, and if you don't get them, you know, wait it out. I remember all. Okay. The all right. One that- one thing though, Kev, on the waited out part. How can the Sabres wait it out when they can't even decide if Eichel's getting an operation or not? Well, that's going to have to be between him and the doctors. Ultimately, it's the player's decision. But take take Eichel out of the equation here because there's the medical situation, but take Ryan O'Reilly, and then we'll start the show. Ryan O'Reilly, Sam Reinhardt, and and Rasmus Ristolainen. What do they all have in common? They all want out. Now they haven't said, you know, you know, O'Reilly was blatant when he said, you know, basically there's a losing culture here. I don't want to be a part of it. Reinhardt and Ristolainen were a little more politically correct, but that's essentially what they said. Well, I can stay here. I can go no matter what. They have a year left in their contracts. They're unrestricted free agents. Everybody knows they're going to leave here. The point is, is that there's a losing culture in Buffalo that I believe comes from ownership down on down. And until they change that, this team won't, won't change from being an unsuccessful franchise to an success to a successful one. The, the form, the formula is uh, the, 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 the answer is simple. It's, it's changing that. That's well, here's the weird thing. One last thing on this. It's the same owner that turned around, watched, watched the culture turn around in with the Bills that can't seem to do it with the Sabres. Same owner. And, you know, yeah, why? He, you know, it just comes down. He hired the right guy in the in the Right, but why can't he hire the right guy again? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, 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 I would – if you brought him into a room and the three of us were talking to him, I bet he would say, I think I have hired the right guy. 
I mean, okay. I mean, right. it's just a judgment call. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you he, know, I, I, I believe he cares too much about the Sabres because that was his, that was his love. He, he bought the bills because it was a good investment. He, yeah. can, he can disassociate himself from the build and allow Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott to run them. But I think the Pagulas have meddled since the very beginning. You know, they fired Tim Murray because they didn't like Tim Murray's uh, off the uh, off the ice, so to speak, personality. Right. Yeah, you know, a lot of people around the league thought, right? You know, he, he was too much. So yeah, so, so I, over the top. Like I, I, I think the Pagulas are at fault here. There's no denying that, but. But you know, I, you know, I just don't know that you're going to get them to uh, admit that you know Kevin Adams is not the right guy. That's the problem. That's and he true. might he might end up being the right guy, but I just don't think he's ready. Right. You know? So. Okay, let's start the show. Hello, hockey world. Today is Monday, June twenty first, twenty twenty one. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. I'm Kevin Allen from Occupies. And I'm Michael Agello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. All right, let's start with the game from last night. And actually, there are two games to talk about because game three was on Friday. Game four was on Sunday between Vegas and the Montreal Canadiens. Um, these games were sort of mirror images of each other, Kevin. Uh, on Friday, Vegas leads 2-1 to one late in the third period, and a big-time flub by Marc-Andre Fleury allows Josh Anderson to tie the game with, I think, a, a little over a minute left in regulation. And then in overtime, Anderson uh, deftly bats a puck out of midair and scores uh, to give the Canadians an undeserving 3-2 win, let's just say. I mean, they I thought they, that Vegas was the better of the two teams in that game, but Montreal full marks for the victory. Now, game game four last night, it was the exact opposite. I thought Montreal was the better of the two teams in the first two periods. Uh, Robin Leonard replaces Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, the, the, Braden McNabb ties the game with about 10 minutes left to go in the third period, and Nicolas Waugh scores in overtime of a little over a minute into overtime to, for a 2-1 win, and now the series is tied 2-2 going back to Vegas. Uh, what's your overall view on this series? Well, I I was really struck last night about uh, how much I enjoyed the tension uh, of that game. Like, the tension in this series is, is is so much that it's entertaining. Like, as soon as Brady McNabb scored that goal, yeah. like, I thought it was over. Like, you could hear the series shift. Yeah. Like, you know, a sigh of relief from Vegas. And I think they just felt they were going to win it. Um and this is such a goaltender series. And then, you know, the decision that Pete DeBoer made, like imagine that conversation with Fleury. Like yeah. you're going in with all that's gone on there, and you're going in and you're walking in. But, you know, you got to give him credit because that's a the, this is such a multi-layered decision. Think about the impact on the fan base. Boy, mm -hmm. if, if Peter was wrong, if Leonard had played poorly, and, you know, he hadn't made that save against Cole Caulfield, Imagine the impact on Theo Fleury. Like I said the last time we met, you just let those two guys play out. You know, don't worry about the salary. Come bring them back next year, you know, until the contract expires. But now, you know, you've you've obviously – now, saying all that, I don't know. I, I'm sure because of who Fleury is, he handled it professionally. Yes. Um, but, but, you know, I'm, but I'm sure he had to be angered by all this. Um, you know, he's not the only guy, goalie ever – to flub a uh, play that uh, cost this team an important uh, game. Like, you know, uh, with, and then, you know, so you're going to hold that against the hundreds of great saves he's made to keep him in. So I, I just think all that drama, like, has, has created to me just such an entertaining series. And yeah. I, it's funny you brought up about who controlled the play because I was thinking last night, like, it doesn't really matter who controls the play because it's still, you know, is my goalie going to make one more save than your goalie? Because that's who's going to win. Like, like I think of that game and Leonard stopped Cole Caulfield. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't stop him. The Canadians win that game. And uh, Carey Price let that puck leak through him with McNabb. And that really did. Like, it leaked. Yeah. It just kind of – Yeah, there was barely any room. Yeah. 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 And, and, like, it's once and, – and both goalies were brilliant. Uh, you know, I, I – it's such an entertaining way to play the sport, and uh, I'm totally uh, 
uh, interested in the in that series and how it's playing out because well, I you know, it's amazing. And Russ, we were watching that game last night after McNabb scored the goal, and we could tell the difference that it oh, made yeah. in terms of Vegas, in terms of confidence. They, they dominated play after that goal through to the beginning of overtime, and then I don't even know if, if Montreal got got a, a chance before Wass scored. I don't think they did. Yeah. Would I don't you, remember them getting one. Yeah, you're right. They dominated the play at that point. The passes were crisp. The shots were going quick. But I'll also tell you, Kev, the one thing I had noticed up to that point was everybody was shooting for Vegas too fast. They were trying for too much of the corner, and they were all psyched out by Carey Price as a result of that because, you know, they were all trying for the perfect shot. After the McNabb goal went in, then all of a sudden they weren't trying for the perfect shot anymore, and that may help them now for the rest of the series. It could. Now, I, I still think it just comes down to the goalies and – how well they play, and you know, this is. Uh, I don't think it's over yet, but I think no, that it's not. Important. It's an important win for for Vegas, obviously. And you know, I've always said for years. <coughs> in addition to my saying is, you know, I sort of just always discard the first game as the mm -hmm. two teams feeling one out. The other thing I said, it always comes down to game four. The difference between two two and three one is so significant that um, it's hard to even to to comprehend uh, what that must mean to the players. Now, now this is this is not the first time that this has happened to Flurry. If you remember in twenty in twenty seventeen, he was the starting goaltender for the first two rounds, and I think the first three games against um, against Ottawa, and then he got hurt, and then uh, uh, Matt Murray. I think Murray started the playoffs and then got hurt, but then. Uh, Flurry had a bad game in Game Three, and in Game Four, Murray took over again, and then Murray went on for the rest of the rest of the playoffs for the Penguins' second uh, Stanley Cup victory in a row. And I mean, I, I the question I have here is now you've had one goalie who has carried you through two rounds against Minnesota and against uh, Colorado, and I thought up until that flub in Game Three played well. But now we've got Leonard who played as good. I mean, I if it's me, I continue to go with Leonard, Kevin. I don't go back to Flurry. What about you? Yeah, well, I, I don't think they will. I think, you know, Leonard's deserved the shot. That's kind of the hockey tradition. You go with, you know, guy wins, he keeps going. So, um, yeah, I uh, certainly that's uh, the way it's going. And, uh, you know, if there's an opportunity, they'll give uh, Flurry back to that. But also, like, the other thing, too, the other factor for DeVore is, Imagine how the players felt about that. I bet that it was not unanimous. I bet there were players that thought, yeah, they should make a goalie switch. And I bet there were players who, who thought, you know, I'll stick with Fleury. He's the yeah. guy that got here. So, you know, no, I I'll, bet you you're right. I bet yeah, you're right. No, I don't, I, you know, just as, you know, nobody was 100% aboard uh, that move, I think probably the same was true in the dressing room. He's a very popular guy. I The other element of that, too, it didn't get as much play as I thought it would, was Leonard's comments afterward. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I thought they were interesting because at first he seemed angry about it. And then by the time he got to the end of it and then I l l watched it again, I thought, no, I think he was just kind of for informing everybody that, that he, you know, and at the end he thanked the, the writers for dumping on him. I, to be honest with you, I didn't really pay any attention to it. It, it, was, almost, it was almost jovial, Kevin. It's like, yeah. I yeah. got here. I got here two hours early so I could watch you guys talk crap on on Twitter to motivate me. Now we yeah. do have some breaking news. Go ahead. So my favorite NHL insider, John Shannon. Um, oh, the the, Olymp the Olympic thing. Well, it's a schedule thing. Yeah, it's yeah I hold off on that. I have that. Okay. For okay. Um, okay. Just continuing with this because this dominated the conversation on social media after the game and this morning, the complaints about the officiating. Now, uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but yeah. it just seems to be a narrative. Corey Perry getting high stuck in, in overtime in game three, uh, going to the Montreal locker room after Anderson scores the, scores the goal. He comes out bleeding, and he's high-fiving he's high his teammates. Uh, Edmondson cross-checking William Carrier uh, in the game yesterday, no call. Nosek hitting Shea Weber from behind, no call. And then they're, they're basically battling each other, and they're not even – I don't even think there were – I think there were a, a coincidental minors, but they'll call that. But – I mean, I, I there were tons of people, Kevin. I mean, it, reporters, fans alike. They're just saying, you know, this is this is terrible. Now, okay, I'm a fan going back to the day where, if 
if unless you chopped off somebody's hand, you weren't going to get a minor penalty in a playoff game. That game last night, game four, was like that. Yeah. Well, I, I don't agree. I don't disagree with that. My wife was watching with me, and she just pointed out, "Boy, this is a rugged game," <laughs> uh, and there's and there's no doubt about it. Um, uh, but you know, I I don't know what people think that the league can do here. I mean, should we just have another symposium and get all the refs together? Uh, should we make more rules? Uh, should we send out a memo again? Because that's always been in the past when things have gotten uh, too far. We send out a memo, even in the middle of the playoffs, tell everybody to watch this and do this. And, you know, and then it slips again. Like, uh, it's it's an imperfect game. Yeah. Right? And we're going to have imperfect officiating. And I, I would totally be on board if someone could give me a solution. Like, uh, did, should we fire every official and start over again? Like, or just Dan O'Rourke. Just Dan O'Rourke should be fired. Right? Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I have a potential solution. So uh, okay. how many – and I'm not saying, look, my number one thing in life is to never write about the referees. I try not to learn their names. I don't want to know because every sport, get they all get complained about all right. the time. So I, yeah. But moving past that, there really should be almost a daily grading system – on these guys, and I don't see why there can't be at least two, one for each series that are sort of held on the sidelines and not in the action. And if you feel like one of them is failing at their job, you pull that guy and replace him with that person. And well, I don't see why they can't do that. There's no, they, that. Sorry, they, go ahead. they do grade them. Yeah. Well, they're not doing a good job grading. We know that. Yeah, for they sure. grade. They grade. They grade them. During the regular season, and you gain playoff games based. No, no, right, but the, do they grade them in the postseason? Oh, I'm sure they do. I mean, I don't know okay. that specifically, but okay, you know, they're constantly graded, um, and you know, they move on. But you know, even that's subjective. Like they you, would get a, a lot of them would get a frowning face right now, Kev. They so, would. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I you know, I, I can't disagree. I mean, because we all see calls where we're going, but I, I just don't know that there's any way. I, I do remember. And I still laugh about it, but Brian Lewis was the director of supervisors. And I remember specifically, he looked at me and he said, Kevin, don't you think if we could find better referees, we'd hire them? <laughs> and, and, and you know, the answer is obvious. Well, yeah, they would. So these are the best guys in the world. And for the most part, they do get it right. But it's a tough game to officiate. But this is this this is a this is a problem across the board in every professional sport. How right. many times have we complained about pass interference calls right. regular season in football? But it is because we see more because of the better cameras, yeah. more cameras. Right. We do see more. There's no question. I, 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 the the problem is is you can't. It, there'll never be a perfect system. No. Um, and I mean, I, I mean, I'm sorry, but you know, this is the way it's always going to be, and. You know, the NHL, like I said, we, you know, all the time we have memos and they change the rules and, you know, and uh, there's uh, the butterfly effect. Um, Colin Campbell, every time we change a rule, he always says the same thing. You know, we got to be careful because this is going to impact something else. And we'll be Although, although Kev, how often do they, and, and I'm going to have some fun here, how often do they get their eyes checked because there's stuff happening right under their <laughs> nose? Yeah, yeah, but again, you don't even know. You don't have any idea what they're seeing, what they're concentrating on. You know, so <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I have been accused of being a, an official apologist, and I, you know, I know they make mistakes. I know there's obvious calls. There are the times when I shake my head, but I just don't think there's a a better system. I think if there was, um, we would have uh, certainly uh, had that by now. Well, and all I can say is like if you. If you need an example of what ha happens in other sports, I'll give you I'll give you a quick one here. Watching the uh, Oakland A's and New York Yankees play uh, uh, yesterday, uh, it's a two and zero count, and the pitcher throw uh, the Oakland pitcher throws a ball right down the middle. I mean, literally right down the middle. And they have the quest tech, and they have the little block the block on the on the on the screen, and they and the umpire calls it ball three. So it's three and zero. And the pitcher then throws a pitch that was about, I would say, five to six inches inside the box on a right-handed hitter. And he calls it strike because it's 3-0 and the pitch is too close. That's what I mean. It's like the pitch before was a strike. They called it a ball. The pitch after was a ball. They called I'll tell it you ball. what a coach told me, Mike. And this is something that I believe to this day, and I don't know if it's stressed enough in all sports. 
don't let the umpire make the decision for you and don't let the refs make the decision for you. Yeah. So if there's a pitch that's close, don't look at it and then look at the umpire and expect them to call ball, ball four, swing right. at the damn pitch. And right. the same in hockey, don't look back at the referee while the play's still going on. Continue the play until you hear the whistle. Like there's too much now of waiting, players waiting sort of for the refs to bail them out or the umpires to bail them out. Well, it, as, as much as not, none of us want to go back to the bad old days of the – of the uh, coaching uh, tactics of the 1950s. Some of the things they said um, still do apply. You know, never allow yourself, uh, never allow your team to be in a position where one officiating call will change the outcome, number one. Right. Um, and, uh, and if it's close, swing, as Mike just said. I mean, I, when we were growing up playing baseball, yeah, you know, I played all the way through Babe Ruth, you know, that was constantly said to us. Anything yeah. close, you got to look at you know, you'd be a big game would be on and there'd be a runner on third and the coach would call you down a third baseline. And that's what he would tell you. You yeah. know, even though you all knew that if it's close, you got to be swinging. Yeah. You know, don't don't get called out like that was the thing. Well, the other thing, too, is that baseball and I'm getting off. But just a quick thing, because I know Russ agrees with me on this. I cannot believe that there's no pain anymore associated with striking out. Like, you know, it's nothing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I just hit it to. It was like I just hit it to the wall, and I hit that pitch. It would have gone all the way to the wall, you know. Right. So, yeah, and, but you didn't hit it, so. And I've never seen so many players with one under under the Mendoza line batting averages in my life in in, in baseball. Yeah. It's, it's sickening. But <clears throat> um, well, one one thing I will add I'll add because I've actually um, been reading a lot about this, and now I'm a little bit more sympathetic because I'm really bothered by players swinging at pitches out of the strike zone. And what I've been able to, from just reading, you got to go take a deep dive to read this stuff because it's not, you know, in regulation publications, but there's a lot out there about it. They've reached the point in baseball where the velocity combined with the spin rates and it's making it very difficult for non-superstar players to read uh, the spin. So that's why there's so many players that are having trouble picking up, whether it's a fastball um, or, or a slider. Yeah. And so, you know, there's to them, it's coming right down the middle and then it's down in the dirt. Yeah. And, right. um, and the only thing I would add to that, and I know we'll get off baseball. The only thing right. I would add to it is just very simple. We used to have a generation of contact hitters. We don't yeah. anymore. If you're a contact hitter, you generally can read the ball better, no matter the spin rate or not. When you're trying to make contact and you don't have this great uppercut swing and you cut down and you choke up and you do those things, you you will do better. But they don't. Well, most you will do better, no doubt. Okay, let's go back. Doc. I'm sorry. Okay, um, I, I just wanted to touch on this because it uh, drew a uh, an opinion from me over the weekend. Uh, now we've had there's a schedule of the NHL awards that are being announced. Uh, the Selkie Award was announced, I think, on Friday, and uh, Alexander Barkov was uh, was the winner, and the um, uh, Lady Bing was announced on Saturday or yesterday. I think it was I think it was uh, Saturday. Saturday, yeah. Uh, uh, Jacob Slavin of the uh, of the Carolina Hurricanes, a defenseman, won the award uh, over Austin Matthews and another defenseman, Jared Spurgeon from Minnesota. Um, now that's the first time since Brian Campbell won uh, for Florida a few years ago, and before that, the last defenseman who had won was in I think in the 1940s, because or no, it was uh, Red Kelly with with Detroit in the 50s. So defensemen normally do not win this award, uh, but that doesn't really matter. Slavin had had two minutes in penalties, and the the two minutes w was a puck over the glass call. So you know, hey, I mean, I, I thought Matthews was going to win because of the year that he had, and usually the Lady Bing is the consolation prize for the heart, but they gave it to Slavin. Damian Cox, former columnist from the Toronto Star, uh, used to be with Sportsnet, goes on Twitter and says, "Time to put a blue ribbon panel of real hockey people." ex-players, and coaches and executives in charge of voting for NHL awards. PHWA members have demonstrated they are not qualified and are not taking it seriously. Well, Kevin, as a former president of the PHWA, there you go. Yeah, well, uh, was that about the uh, Lady Bay Award? Was yeah, it, it was about Slavin. It was about Slavin. That's unbelievable to me. Um, well, first of all, um, I have actually been critical of the way we've voted 
on um, the Lady Bing because there are too many writers who look at that ward as uh, with regard to penalty minutes. Mm -hmm. Now, there's nothing about penalty minutes in the description of that award. In the early years, it had nothing to do with penalty minutes. Now, for some reason, it's people go through that, the yeah. list, look at who has 10 or fewer penalty minutes, write them down, and then decide to go with it. Nope. Nick Lidstrom should have won this award 15 times. Right. It's about gentlemanly play. Right. Uh, it's about playing with honor. It has nothing to do with penalty minutes. Red Kelly won this award one year, mm -hmm. and uh, he was one of the four defensemen that have won it, and he brought that up as well. This has got nothing to do with penalty minutes. Penalty minutes, this is about how you play, how you conduct yourself. Uh, you know, how do you play the game? Are you clean? Are you, you know, so I don't know why we've turned it into penalty minutes, which makes it difficult. Well, but I'll tell you what, Kev, this is the other part, though. Like, Ty Anderson and I were going back and forth, and few things. So, like, Mike and Ty had never gotten a chance to vote. Ty told me he's 0 for 8. Imagine being passed over eight times. It's not supposed to happen. Yeah. This year, they cut down the vote, which is fine if that's what you wanted to do. But what they ended up doing, Kev, was making it more regional than they than they thought they would because 30% of the vote came from the athletic. Now, the problem there is a lot of the athletic is located in the north. And so, again, you still ended up having that problem. You end up having another problem where how many people voted that never even went to a game this year? They couldn't get to a game. They didn't see a game live. There were a lot of people like me. Now, I've gotten to vote a lot of times, so I'm not complaining. I'm just saying you would want a, a fair amount of people, I think, that actually attended games to be voting on this, too, because you don't know how often they're flipping channels and not watching full event features. Like, there's, I, I just look at it and I said, you know what? With what they tried to do to, in their mind, make the vote better this year because of the way the schedule was, they made it worse by limiting it to just a hundred, and and that's the and, and that's on them. That's that was a bad decision well, that the, I was not in charge of. Well, I was the one who really increased the number of uh, uh, ballots because um, yeah. you, you when you have too few, one or two bad ballots can you know you know back when I first started we were in the, the voting numbers in the 50s. So if you have one person leave Raymond Bork off the ballot for Norris, it had a tremendous impact. Yeah, so five I, people left Bergeron off the ballot, I believe, and kept him from winning the Selkie. Now, I'm not saying he should have been a slam dunk to win it, but I'm saying, why would you leave Bergeron off the ballot? Well, no, you know, you yeah. know us? You know, right? Because he's won it enough times already. I know, that's yeah, why. That, 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 you know, I, there's that's nowhere in the criteria. Right. Um, you know, that's why when people say, well, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, this guy's 24 years old. I, right. you know, I'm going to vote for him. There's nothing in the criteria. We, we need as voters to pay attention to the criteria of the award and not sure. make up our own criteria. Right. right. Adam Fox has no chance to win the Norris Trophy because he hasn't served enough of an apprenticeship to uh, win the award. That's, that's just – now, if, if you want to think like that, you know, I can't I mean, stop you. But don't publicize that. Not you personally. Right. But but any, anyway, but getting just to the overall view, there's no still no group better equipped to vote on awards. And I don't care what kind of blue, because all of them are going to have agendas as well. Of course. You're never, you're never going to get as many votes. If you get, say you have a blue ribbon panel of 24, it'll be the most controversial thing you've ever seen in your life. Absolutely. People, people, people will be looking at who they used to play for, yep. you know, uh, where they're located, how often we see them at the games. You know, we are, we are their best option. Maybe, maybe that you don't like it, but I also would say for the most part, we get it right now. Is it perfect? No, but you know, do we have guys that, uh, you know, don't include Bergeron? Yes, we do. But you're going to always have that. And if you have 24, you're going to have that. Look at the GM voting yes. right, for for goalie, and you'll see that. Look at how they voted, how many people, and some of the people they vote for. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're still the best uh, option they have. I think we do a good job, uh, mostly. Uh, I don't have any problems with Slavin winning. Uh, you know, I, like Me I said, either. I was fine. I, I, like, people are going to find this shocking, but I – rarely looked at penalty minutes when I when I voted for my lady bank. You know, it, I don't think that's a criteria. It so. will be it will be as controversial as the NCAA selection committee when it comes to right. the tournament. And th this is this is the thing. 
Um, you know, like I said, I, I've been a member of the PHWA for now, I think five years. Um, I voted for the, um, uh, the Masterton. I've never had a chance to vote for the other awards. I believe if you're a member of the Professional Hockey Writers Association, you should be able to vote for every award that the, the association votes for. Not a select a number. It should be everyone. If you're qualified enough to be a member of the association, you should be getting getting a vote. Now, the thing is, I'm all for transparency. So if my vote is exposed out there and my vote is idiotic, then maybe they should take my vote away. But I should have the right to vote. And I, you know, so I don't agree with Damien, who's who's basically ripping, ripping writers for, you know, their educated opinion. Uh, I think they're more educated than some of the people that he's suggesting. So I, 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 yeah. I don't want to go with it. It's, it's easy. It's and sorry, I was just going to say, it's easy for someone like Damien to say, I could get this blue ribbon panel and do it better without actually providing a, a way or a roadmap of doing it better. Because he'll never do that. No. And it still comes down to people's opinions. Yes. Right. I don't care who it is. I mean, I have met GMs who have, you know, told me things. Uh, and, you know, these are guys that really know the game. And they've told me some things that, you know, you're going, really? You know, I, you know, I agree <laughs> that, you know. Um, so... I don't know. You know, it's like anything else. It, everybody always thinks they got a better idea, but then when you ask them, okay, well, how do we pull this off? And you know, as Coley Campbell always points out, then we got to see the ramifications of that. Right. Um, oftentimes, it ends up in a worse situation if you're the if cure. You're, is, the cure is worse than the disease. Well, yeah, you ended up, you know, and we've seen that with rule changes where you know you stopped them from doing one thing and they've done another and. You know, you you know, we've talked about this with uh, um, the rules of the CBA, where now um, some GMs aren't happy that other GMs are acting as a third party. Uh, that they mm -hmm. think that's, uh, you know, even though that's allowed by the rules to them, that's not what you know. That's this legalized cap circumvention. Well, so. let, let me ask you this about about that particular question. Do you think if we didn't have a flat cap, probably for the next three or four years, that the league would be more apt to uh, penalize these teams for doing that third team, fourth team type of thing. I think they might, but I think the reality here is that because there's no other option with a flat cap for the next four years, they have to do these things. Yeah, because they're dead set against allowing, uh, allowing a buyout. Um, you right. know, they, I, yeah. I, it seems to me, too, that everybody was warned about this the last time we had buyouts. They we're were. Not, they said there's not going to be any more buyouts. Yeah, we're not doing that anymore. So Yeah. Um, because they didn't want people to make bad decisions. And, you know, it is going to be interesting, though, because there's always such a push and pull between, um, you know, what's good for the league and well, even what's good for teams and then, you know, doing what you need to do in order to get the guy on your team. I remember Dale Talon had such a fascinating answer to me uh, when he was with the Florida Panthers. He said, you know, when I don't do anything for my team um, because I can't get guys to come here, you guys criticize me for not, you know, helping my team. And then when I overpay, because that's the only way I can get guys to come here, you criticize me for overpaying. So what's my option? You know, where, where is it that you think I should go? I either have to overpay to get the guys to come or do nothing. So, you know, and I, I understand that. It's a, it's very, very complicated. Um, you know, it's the same thing. If, if Columbus or Winnipeg, um, or maybe other markets, the Anaheim Ducks uh, that hasn't, you know, they haven't been very good lately. They may have to overpay to get somebody to come mm -hmm. down. So. Right. Um, as Russ was mentioning before, John Shannon, friend of the show, uh, tweeted out that the NHL will be sending a draft of their the schedule for next year to teams this week. Uh, the season is supposed to start October 12th, which is normal starting time. Uh, and But in fact, they will be sending two schedules, one that includes the Olympics and one that does not. And Kev, I, you know, I hear people talking about, well, who's going to be the goaltender for Team Canada? Is it going to be Carey Price and Marc-Andre Fleury and Bennington? We don't even know if they're going yet. No, I mean, you don't really. I mean, something could fall apart, but I, you know, they... People want this to happen, so it is. Sure. So I, it'll just come down to negotiations and getting it all organized. And so I'm not too concerned about it unless I start to hear things that I think, you know, can't be fixed. But everything, you know, uh, all, all the particulars, 
everybody knows where everybody is on those and you know they they went down that path to begin with so they ought to be able to reach a, a conclusion that works for them so are we guessing that there'll be a winter classic there'll be an all-star game there'll be maybe a heritage classic do we well, think all of those things are back in play now? I kind of feel like they are, but I don't think they will see a heritage class. No, do. okay. And I don't think there'll be an all, there won't be an all star game if there's an Olympics because they won't. No. no, I guess not. Not an Olympic year. That's true. Right. But they have to. No, but they probably have one tentatively scheduled. Right. If they don't go, if the if it's the non Olympic schedule, then they're scheduled. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. So I guess it'll be on that. Can you really do that? I mean, because I don't know. I mean, what are you going to do? Do nothing then? Yeah, you got to plan for this. Like I think if. They've probably already said we're not having. They haven't said anything about it, though. Yeah, but I mean, internally, I mean, I I don't know the answer to that, but so you know, because you, you got to plan for an all star game, like you know, you got book play. I don't disagree party. with you. So I don't know how they could do it. Uh, or or can they get the World Cup of Hockey going quickly in you know Toronto's building if there's no Olympics? Like, is that in the secret plan? I don't know. Ideally, if if they if they're planning a an all star game on a you know, I'm, I'm, you know on, you know what I'm saying like at the last minute, yeah, either be in a brand like in a brand new building like the New Islanders building or something right. that can someplace like Toronto that has a history of holding big events. Or they, they could do what I said once: make the all star game the Winter Classic. Not the worst yeah. idea. In the no, world. no, I think it's a good idea. I don't think it's a bad idea at all. Yeah, um, I wanted to bring up something. I'm going to actually write a column on this today because um, I think it's fun. I'm not sure Mike will think it's as fun as I do, but <laughs> of course he won't. I saw I saw <laughs> yesterday an interview um, on um, uh, the NHL Network, uh, and someone was talking about what was going on with the Coyotes and you know who might be moved and so forth. And Phil Kessel came up. <laughs> Phil, Phil Kessel. Um, has a contract and I, I I didn't quite get all the details, but it sounds like he gets uh like a bonus paid to him on July 1st. And then what right. he's going to be owed for next season is next to, to nothing. And I started to think about Phil Kessel and I just started to smile. Like he, how long have been people have been trying to, I don't want to say run him out of the league, but they've discounted what he does on the ice. And last season he scored 20 goals last year. Yeah. Here he is. I mean, he's the most unlikely-looking hockey player I think you were ever going to see, and he was a 20-goal scorer in a 56-game season. Mm -hmm. And and I just think about this. There's going to be some team out there that's going to look at that, and they're going to say, a million bucks, Phil Kessel. I'm bringing him in. I yeah. how many teams are looking for secondary score? Like, well, okay, he's got he's got an eight million dollar cap hit, but uh, one point two of that is deferred to the Leafs, so it's a six point eight million dollar cap hit. The money paid out is six million, one million in base salary, five million in signing bonus that will be paid to him the beginning of the hockey year, which I think is July twenty eighth. That's the beginning. right, right. So. so so he's a million dollar for a team that is cap strapped and has cap yeah. room. He's perfect. Well, here's yeah. the other crazy thing. All right, this is I. Uh, you could find anomalies all over the place with Phil Kessel. There's no question. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna get a thousand points. He only needs less yeah. than a hundred. He's gonna have four or five hundred goals. But now, looking at this last season, he had an, a crazy amount of ex, of um, even strength goals. Uh, like, yeah, for sure. And he, like, but you'd expect him to be power play goals. He, he has scored an average of 25 goals a season. No, but 14 of his 20 were even strength. You would not expect that for Phil Kessel no. either. No. Oh, he, he just he just defies logic. He does. And and I if I'm Phil Kessel, I'm just I'm proud of my career. You know, oh, you should be. I mean people as, just keep um you know writing him off, you know. And everything else, but but you know, look at them. You know, That's, well, yeah, exactly. Look at them, Kevin. They're, they took a picture. I don't know what what milestone it was, but the Coyotes put out a picture on Twitter, and he looked as doughy as me. Uh, and, uh, close. He, he looks like a <laughs> he looks like a uh, insurance salesman, or he looks like the guy that works on my car down. Yeah, um, he's uh, every man. Yeah. yeah, he really is, and I I I. I say go Phil go. That that's my 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 take. You know, go Phil go. You know, he can still go out there 
and get the job done, can find those soft areas in the offensive zone. I mean, honestly, shot off, so. it would it would make sense for a team like Minnesota who's looking for scoring on a on a, he's got one year left in his contract. The cap hit's not ridiculous. I mean, there are three, four, five teams I could think of on the top of off the top of my head that need to add offense that you know, a one-year fix like that would make sense. Now, I was going to bring up uh, another Coyote because his name is beginning to pop, and that's Oliver Ekman Larson. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me make one more comment about Phil. Wouldn't yeah. it be ironic if it, like, if the David Poyle went after Phil Kessel? Because I think yeah. he was the one that didn't put him on Olympic team, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that was the one that uh, – uh, hope I'm right on that. It was one of the things where he – sort of made a comment on Twitter afterward when they were having trouble scoring goals or something like that. But yeah, um, I just think, cause you know, he would be a good fit for the Predators. He would, they need he, he would be the real test because every other person they brought in has gone down in goal production. If Phil Kessel could score 20 there, then, it, then it means it could happen. If he all of a sudden goes down, then, <laughs> then the Nashville yeah. Predators have a problem. Russ, he's not a fan of hot chicken, so they don't, they don't have to worry about that. They make hot dogs uh, around the world, Mike. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, Oliver Ekman Larson. Yes. Boy, uh, you know it's going to be a lot harder to trade him this season because obviously he's not coming off a superior year. Um, um, and now I, I don't know. Like I, I think the list of teams. Uh, well, first of all, the list of teams that can afford a salary almost non-existent. And right. I, 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 you know, I heard that the, the approach now would be, you know, now we're just going to make a deal and take it to him right. and see if we can get him to do it, which you know, makes some sense. They tried it last year the other way and it didn't work. So now see, see what you can do. But I, I don't think it's going to be easy making that deal. And, and, you know, just because of the circumstances of the flat cap and everything else, like, you know, who can take $8 million and, is willing to do it for a guy that didn't play as well as he did the previous season. So. Well, you do get cost certainty with him, and if they were to eat some salary, that yeah. would help. But the other thing, Kev, is just having his name out there now sort of gums up the works yes. for for Seth Jones and for De and for Savard Possibly. and for everything else because it's it's a distraction. Yeah, but you know what? He's, they're they're all you know. I don't want to say free of charge because you're going to pay the, but you're not, it doesn't cost you anything extra to sign them other than their salary. So he's in a different category. Um, well, not uh, Seth Jones. Seth Jones, you have to pay, you have to trade for too. So right, that's what I'm saying. You gotta, yeah. You know, oh yeah, not Seth Jones. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You do got to pay for, it. but you know they're they're in a different category. But there's a there's a second there's a secondary level here because yeah, Seth Jones. I mean, we know how great he is, and he's going to get interest from you know, 10 teams probably, but there's a secondary market after Jones, like Matt Dumba from Minnesota, like Morgan Riley, possibly from Toronto with a year left in his contract. Um, Ekman Larson's got, I think five years left on his deal at least right. at a, at a, at a 8 million a pop. There are not, you're right, Kev. There are not many teams that can afford that on his list last year it was two teams, Boston and Vancouver, Vancouver, doesn't have the cap space. Boston might. Boston might be interested in that move because, you know, defensively, the, the, after losing Chara, now obviously Ekman Larson's a completely different player than Chara, but they are missing that sort of linchpin, number one, number two defenseman who can eat minutes, and, and Ekman Larson can do that. If there's interest there, then they might be able to work out something involving DeBrusque and a couple other players that would work. Kev, let me ask you this. If you're Ron Francis and you think you could sign Dougie Hamilton and you'll have a ton of assets and you think you could trade for Ekman Larson, you have to get to the cap floor. That could be a hell of a way to start off a, uh, a franchise. Yeah, I, I mean, the approach, a lot's going to be dependent on how, what Coyote's viewpoint is uh, in terms of do they, is there expectation that they're really making a hockey trade or is there expectation is we want to get rid of this large salary? Right. Um, if you're just trying to get rid of this large salary and the cost is not great, um, then I guess there's a possibility. If you think you're now like last year, I think they thought they were going to make a hockey trade. Yes. And I don't. I'm not sure you're going to be able to do that. The world has changed. The flat cap. The number of teams that have cap space. Um, him coming. Him. Him coming off an off season. Um, and the amount of uh, a term that's that's left. Like you know, Dumba's got what two years left or three. Uh -huh. Three, I believe three. 
Okay. Yeah, Ekman Larson has six years left at eight point two five. Yeah, Dumba's three at what six? Uh, actually, Dumba's two at six. Two at six. So, yeah, that you're you're gonna be able to move Dumba. Yes. Um, you know for sure. And I think you'd be able to if, if Toronto decides they're going to make some move and move Riley preemptively. He's one year at five that they could move him too. It's just a question of what they can well, What does that do for Toronto's defense? I, I don't know. I don't I don't understand. The, the rumors are out there, Kevin. I don't understand them because he's a number one defenseman. He's not the best number one defenseman, but he's a good number one defenseman. They can't replace him. And, but they're you know maybe they're saying they can't sign him either. And because they can't sign him, then they may have to move him. I I think you're taking a step back if you trade Riley, but that's just yeah, me, me, I'm with you on that. I, I, I don't like that idea. I, yeah, I looked at the, after you and I had that discussion about, and um, there are uh, a significant number of teams that have um, a lot of players like Toronto with big contracts. Now, the, the one thing about Toronto is their guys are just a little bit higher because they're over the 10 million. Um, yeah. um, but there was fewer than I thought, um, but there was enough that, you can make it work um, if you have that many, but you can't keep paying people, you know, that, that amount of money. So well, they they keep what my, my and I've been writing about this, and I'll continue to write about it. Their, their problem is not paying three players 30, 32, 33 million. The problem is paying four players forty million. You can't afford a seven million dollar forward on top of three forwards making over ten. And that's, that's true. true. That's true. I'm not sure that is true. Um, uh, I think that's pretty close to true. I mean, and the, and the Tampa, Bay, Tampa Bay five players, nine million dollar average. And the reason the reason I say that, Kevin, is because if you look at what they're doing, all they're slowly shrinking their their support staff. They you know trading Connor Brown, trading now you know maybe letting Zach Hyman go, uh, let you know trading or or uh, uh, getting Kerfoot to go in expansion to. You know, it's going to end up being like a Tampa Bay scenario after the lockout, where you, all you had was San Luis, Richards, Boyle, and Lacavier. They couldn't even afford a goaltender. They had to put John Graham in goal. Yeah, Kev, I would say it like this: if everybody went to the Tampa Bay model of saying that yes, this could work, uh, I don't think you'd have a lot of teams winning like Tampa Bay because nobody drafts like them, nobody's developing like them, and I think teams would fall flat on their face. Well, but no, no team. Uh, um, you know, only one team can win the cup. You know, so that's going to be true no, no matter what you do. You know, if everybody averaged uh, didn't pay anybody over five million, still one team's going to do it better. All right, but if they win it twice, then they could be looked at as the anomaly. Like, hey, okay, this is an anomaly here. This isn't necessarily a you know thing that would work league wide. Yeah. Well, Tampa, though, is an interesting spot because I think the players know this, too. Well, two things about Tampa. One, Toronto's is all tied up in forwards, Yes, um, which makes a big difference. The Tampa Bay situation has a goalie, a defenseman, and forwards. So, you know, that yeah. I think that makes a big difference. Um, but the, uh, you know, the, the second thing about this, I think the Tampa Bay Lightning know that I think Brisebois has run up, uh, run out of aces up his sleeve. So the, he's got to pay the piper this summer. And the depth that they've had um, through good drafting and shrewd uh, decisions and creative ways to stay under the cap, he's he's run out of those. I, th I think. Now we'll see. Maybe he's got a couple more aces. But because of that, you know, they can't re-sign Blake Coleman. They can't re-sign Goodrow. They can't re-sign uh, – uh, Luke Shen. They can't resign Curtis McElhaney as a backup goalie, and they're going to probably they're still going to be six million under the cap or five point whatever it is. So you know, even if they can get rid of uh, Tyler Johnson, they're still going to have to move one more player, maybe two, because okay. they're going to maneuverability. So you're right, but don't you believe he'll work out some sort of deal with Eiserman? I just feel it in my gut. I. I <laughs> The Eiserman is not going to take three years at five million. Now, would Eiserman work with Seattle and take? Well, he could take a third team on, yeah. Yeah, I think he would. Um, but I, I would think, uh, you know, again, it will, it, it will be depend on the assets. Like I could see him in a James Neal situation, where he's only got two years, 
Um, but you know, he's going to have to get a big asset, right? Um, back, you know, this is not a fourth round deal, like uh, no, no, no. Here, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't see Eisenman out of the kindness of his heart taking Yanni Gord at five point one. No, 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 he's not going to do that. Like he wouldn't take Tyler Johnson last year with uh, right four years left. No, five years left. It's four years left now. Yeah, and right and right now, even be, even before they're sit, they're they're five point six oh six six million over the cap. Right. So they got they got to get rid of uh, like two, you know, big salaries. Yep. Um, all right. Just to finish off here, we uh, have game game five of the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning and Islanders uh, tonight. Um, ga- uh, game <laughs> game four was bizarre in the fact that the Islanders had a comfortable three nothing lead, and then I think sort of went to sleep in the third period. And Tampa Bay closed it to three two and. Kevin should have tied that game if it weren't for the heroic exploits of Ryan Pulak on that play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was an unbelievable play. Yeah, no, it really was. And, uh, you know, that's what we love about playoff hockey is, you know, blocks just become so big. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was yeah, that, that was a big win. That was a big win. And it looked like it was going to be an in, uncharacteristic win because they got goals. Um, although I look today, and as hard as this is to believe, in these in this postseason, the the Islanders are outscoring the Tampa Bay Lightning. Right, but uh, you know how they're getting them. Most of their goals are not coming at the way that Bailey did it. Most of their goals are coming around the goal crease where they're just pounding away at it and, and getting them in, which is fine. But I think if Tampa could somehow lessen that, that really helps them. The other thing, Kev, is I do think the Islanders' defense does tire out. And I think that's where Tampa was taking advantage because I, I noticed that in that third period, they were like, all right, you know what? We're going to stretch the ice a little bit here. We're going to start passing a lot, getting these guys moving. And it did seem like, because again, the Islanders do shorten their pairings. And it did seem like those guys were just a little bit tired at one point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, Scotty Bowman used to tell me that uh, back when the left wing lock was all the rage in the neutral zone trap. He'd always say, you know, that's an offensive system, not a defensive system because the defensive uh, uh, moves are designed to create turnovers to result in uh, offensive, uh, you know, charges up ice. So um, uh, that's how the Islanders maybe are a better scoring team is they've played strong enough defense that they've created a lot of chances offensively. And coaches uh, always used to say that. I don't, do they say that anymore that, uh, Good defense creates offense. I don't know whether they say that anymore, but uh, they use different terms like transition or counterattack or whatever. It's you know who knows. Mike, I'm going to be sending the link to Eck. I think he's got something. So I know we get. I'm sending a link for the show for X. So don't sign off yet. Okay, we we have only a couple minutes. Yeah, but you know we can go a little over. I've, oh, that's right. I forgot to send Act the link, but uh, <laughs> he's in. He's Act is on his or is in San Diego right now on on vacation. So uh, I texted it to him. Oh, okay, good. Um, but uh, yeah, so no, I mean, I I mean, game four was a little less of one of these games that I, I think there was not as much physicality. No, there was. You know, I think maybe they got the message because I think it was a bit a bit over the top. And uh, if it had gone, continued to go that way, I think, you know, one of these teams would be heavily penalized. And, you know, then if you give Tampa Bay too many chances on the power play, I think, that, you know, that you're, you're signing your death warrant. Yeah. Yeah. I, this, this series has been entertaining, but game four was just different than the other games. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, and uh, I lo- love the fact, are you actually on the plane still? Yeah, I guess he is. Yeah! Wow! Can you hear him? Yeah, yeah. I can hear you. I can hear you. Yeah. That's amazing. You are you at, are you at thirty five thousand feet? I am. Wow! <laughs> Excellent live from thirty five thousand. Is this a first for this? Uh, uh, it no. is. I think so. No, no. Somebody's done it before. Really? On this show? No. Can you guys? Can you hear me? Yeah. 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 We're almost done with the show, so oh, if you yeah, guys can hear. Like this, this yeah, is quite extraordinary. Uh, Ex private chat. This, this is amazing. Yeah. I just wanted to do it as possible. Yeah, yeah well, it, it is possible. 
Yeah. Can you get yeah, me I'll, some I'll, peanuts? Yeah. Can you get peanuts yet? If you can, I'd like some peanuts. No, I, I want those, 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 those coffee biscotti that they always serve on the planes. They're fantastic. <laughs> you want to see the dog sitting next to me? A dog? A yeah, dog sure. Let's see the, the yeah. poodle. Here yeah. we go. Okay, right, here we go. Wow. Let's see if I can get this to work. Wow. It's the buzz jet. There you go. Your flight has gone to the dogs. Uh-oh. Yeah, I... The, I could not bring my dog on a plane. They would no, not. I wouldn't either. <laughs> All right, um, we're we're gonna end the show here, but uh, I'll send you the link tomorrow. I forgot. I forgot to send it to you uh, today. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm taking prerogative. Um, okay. I'm gonna exercise some executive prerogative here and end the show. Yeah, so. just cut them off. All right. <laughs> All right. For the for the uh, the altitude uh, for Eklund at high altitude for Kevin Allen for Russ Cohen. I'm Michael Agello. Thanks for watching, and remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey.